This is episode number 245. How do you market yourself authentically with Adrian Miller? Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming weekly conversation as part of our Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude series. What this is, is a weekly conversation that takes place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, where we explore the connection between grief and gratitude, resilience and gratitude, relationships and gratitude, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find the latest details about our upcoming conversation. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our work. If our work has had any form of impact in your life or helped you see your world through a different lens, please consider supporting our cause by making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. Adrian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Absolutely. I'm great that grateful that we're able to connect. And once again, we got to, I've got to thank Scott Mason for the mutual introduction and he's just a great person, but I'm great, grateful that we're able to actually have this conversation about marketing, marketing of oneself, different ways to do it. I know that you and I were just having this conversation before we hit the record button and I'm grateful that we did because otherwise we're going to go down a rabbit hole that, you know, <laughs> was going to lead to some other conversation and we'd have to reschedule things. Yep. And so yeah, I, I figured that the best way to maybe even approach this topic of marketing oneself authentically is diving a little bit into your own personal experience. And that is, when did that first make sense to you? And, and were you introduced to marketing through a different lens? Because I know that when I look back at my journey, I certainly was. I yeah. was taught marketing through the lens of push, 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 sell, 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 
And then I kind of put myself in the other person's shoes and I said, I don't know if this feels right because I don't know if I would want to receive, you know, the first messages. And I think this happens a lot on yeah. LinkedIn and some of these other platforms. You get connected with the person and they'll, I've actually, actually had conversations where the person would say, I'm not here to sell you anything. Literally three messages later, it's the pitch for the course, the book, the podcast, yeah. whatever else. Yeah. So I, I've tried to understand that. How do you do this in a natural way? Yeah. And from your experience, what does that mean and what does that look like? Yeah. And, and thank you for relating. I think the LinkedIn example, unfortunately, is one we all have with starting with, yes, I'm not going to sell you anything to people who don't say that. Maybe they're the most honest of all because they don't say that and they connect with you and immediately the next message you get is the hardest of sales that you could ever imagine with products or services that have absolutely no possible value for you. And that's where, that's the word that I stick to a lot, which is adding value to a relationship, even before there's quote, this uh, customer business, client business relationship. And marketing, if the folks who you're trying to uh, present products and services and with the hope that you're they're going to buy them because the truth is if you're in business you need to have people buy your products and services if no one will give you money for anything you have a hobby you don't have a business you have a great maybe a great hobby but if you need to earn money and you're selling a product or service people have to give money to you so that they, um, so you have a business and they have availed themselves of your product or service. So for me, um, being authentic means value. And for me, value means that you've, you've taken the trouble, you've done your due diligence to position what it is you have to the right people so that you're, um, you're communicating and presenting um, at a very broad level because marketing is very broad to suspects that are in your research and your wisdom are potentially aligned positively with what you what you're selling. I mean, it's like you're selling. Um, uh, real estate in assisted living communities. Okay. Well, you probably have a specific demographic that you're, you're focusing in You're you know, it's, it's a very specific niche that you're looking for. Um, baby products. I mean, you can go off the deep end and say, well, you're probably going to market them to also like grandparents and stuff like that. They're not necessarily the people having the babies, but you have to, you have to think about who you're talking to. If not, you're the people receiving the messages are going, what the heck? And that's the first ring of, well, these people are, you know, they're just scamming. They're just sending out as much as they can and something's going to stick. 
that method, first of all, is very expensive way to go about it. And secondly, I think you make, um, you, you bad, build a bad reputation along the way. In terms of me personally, I honestly, I'm gonna, I, this, I, don't, I don't think I know how to be any other way than authentic. I just, that is just me. It always, it's probably won me some enemies. It's definitely pissed people off. Um, but that's kind of the way I am. I don't know how to be another way. So <laughs> that's the, the one thing I can, I can think is no one has ever accused me <laughs> of not being authentic. Many other things, but not being uh, authentic was never one of them. So uh, I think you're always, you know, if you're authentically marketing something, product or service, you're thinking about who's going to be your ultimate buyer and put, putting yourself in your their shoes, which is what you just said, I think is a great way also mm -hmm. to, um, to see how uh, the BS factor, how, how hard it's, it, it, it's hammering. Cause if, you know, if you're, if you step back from yourself and go, Oh my God, I can't say that. No, people are going to receive it even worse than you mm -hmm. did. How do you know when you make, when to make the sale? Oh, I never think of making a sale and I never think of closing. I, in fact, I wrote an article about, I've written many articles about it. I think <laughs> the next natural step in a sales conversation, in a sales dance, and the sales dance can go on for a long time. It's not a two minute waltz. It, it could go on for a long time. It's that the point where the person you're speaking with all of a sudden goes, my gosh, I need to do more with this person or I need to do this thing they're talking about. So all of those books, and my apologies to people who wrote those books, but all of those books with the 10 ways to close and 15 different, you know, so do you want it in red or do you want it in blue? Is Tuesday good for you? Or if not, how about Thursday? All those things to me are artificial. To me is if you present enough value, if you show people where what you are offering equates to an improvement in their situation, and then if all these other things are aligned, it should be a match. It really should. Now, are there cases where you do everything right and you could say it should be a match or possibly it's post situation. It should have been a match and it isn't. And that's just fine because nobody's ever closed 100 percent. And so you cannot, you know, go off the deep end because somebody said no. But I think if you really do and execute your all the steps appropriately, you're going to find that people lean into you and it's so much easier and it's so much more pleasant. It really, really is. You know, the funniest situation, I was um, working with a client years ago and one of their sales reps was on the phone and I heard him say, 
to the prospect, well, you know, I'm going to be in your neighborhood on Tuesday, uh, but if that doesn't work for you, I'll probably be there on Friday afternoon as well. And the prospect said a couple of things that stuck with me forever. One, what do I care if you're in my neighborhood? So what? <laughs> I don't care. Like, that's your trouble. So you have to drive. You have to fly. I don't care. You know, that's a sentence that's supposed to take response, it's supposed to take pressure off of the prospect's shoulders. But but why would you want them to not feel a sense of commitment? Or if, you know, I'll just be in the neighborhood, so I'll drop off some stuff. It certainly devalues your meaning. It really does. I mean, I want people to think that I moved heaven and earth to get there. And then if that makes them feel creeped out, well, maybe they, that's okay. I, you should let me know that. I don't want you to think that I'm just doing a drive-by, like I can throw it in out my window, you know, like I'm throwing newspapers on the on the lawn and so you can get your daily, daily news. So that's one thing. So the prospect said to him, why do I care if you're in my neighborhood? And by the way, I'm not free either of those days. And if you jump in and tell me, oh, I could be there next week too, you've totally destroyed any sense of uh, credibility that you were trying to build. And, and salespeople used to do that all the time. They really used to do, they use the alternate choice close and they did the, let me just slide this piece of paper over on the desk. And while we're talking about your pet dog, let me hand you a pen so you can sign while you're thinking of Fido at home. It's, that's the creepiest thing I've ever heard of. And really there are, there are people who used to try to do that kind of stuff. And for me, I never was there. I never gave anyone alternative choices because I really felt that intrinsically I set things up that you saw the benefit, the value, everything I could do for you. I answered your questions. I took your obstacles and I listened to them carefully and showed you, you know, you're, you're right, I hear you. However, could you think of it this way? I mean, I, I respected you and I respected the dance we were doing until such time as, you know, we, we, we realize there is something that we can do together. But to try to push it through, I think, is the quintessential um, definition of that, you know, the ugly salesperson, that kind yeah. of thing, or the used car salesman. That's the cliche. Do you feel confident in being able to sell yourself? I feel confident in being able to sell myself as long as I'm selling and I can't do it any other way. So it's never, and I, I, I'm not chameleon like, I'm really not. I, I'm, I'm pretty New York-y. Um, I'm assertive without being hostile or aggressive. I tend to be mouthy and are known to use a lot of profanity just because <laughs> it's part of my vernacular. 
Um, and I'll tune it down for sure. I'm conscious of the person I'm looking at or speaking to and what will make them very uncomfortable. But can I change totally? Can I um, do anything that would be deceitful to me, real, the real me? Not so much. And I've never been in a situation where I, I'm so, I don't mean needy or desperate. I always feel that there's another path that I can go down because at the end of the day, I need to go to sleep at night. And I don't know if I could do that as effectively if I was deceitful for, you know, to get some, a job. It wouldn't work. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I felt the same exact way. I think for me, when it comes to being able to market or sell, it truly does have to come from my own understanding of that thing. And I've also learned that at least this is the way that I operate. Personal experience does matter. So if I can't relate to a product or a, or a service through some sort of personal encounter or experience that I've had, I found that it's nearly impossible for me to really believe in that thing and understand that what I'm going to sell or market is going to be of value because I don't have that firsthand experience and being able to understand that if this is a thing that has helped me see the world differently or change my life, then how can I really communicate the same exact thing to anyone else? I hear you totally. And the, I, and I would say, I, I, yes, I agree with you. However, I'm smiling only because I'm thinking back of things. So, I, you know, I'm a trainer. So I wasn't sell, me doing the selling directly. However, I was writing the sales materials and I was training the sales staff. Oh, I, and I'm thinking of one situation because it was pretty funny. Um, but many where I'm, I'm really out of my areas of expertise, but I'm thinking of one, particularly that it was um, uh, a life sciences company, and it was some biotechnology piece of equipment, and I, the equipment was being sold to research scientists. I mean, other than, you know, freshman bio, that's about all I know. <laughs> and, um, but... But at the end of the day, when you're selling anything, and, and this, is, this is true, the person you're selling to has to see where what you're selling equates to some improvement. And so I learned enough about the equipment. Don't I couldn't have worked it. I couldn't have analyzed the results or anything like that. But I learned enough about the equipment. Plus, I learned about the competitors. And there were only five of them. So it wasn't that I had to do, you know, three years of research. And then I looked at, okay, core benefits. This is where this company really adds value. And I was able to control where their dialogue or train them to control where their dialogue um, should be uh, should be going and, and for them to drive that that conversation. So yes, for me, um, 
it's always good for me to experience it myself if I'm doing, if I am literally the direct salesperson. Um, hard for me to sell somebody's program if I hasn't taken it. I can talk very well about the person running it, but I'm extra good if I took yeah. the program and it was yeah. great, you know. Um, any kind of program doesn't have to be even a work-related program. I'm thinking of um, diet programs, yeah. you know. You can, you have an extra layer of passion, I think, that comes out if you've if you've done the program and it had positive results. And uh, and if you're an unendorsed spokesperson, because <laughs> uh, as soon as I see, you know, sponsored, I'm going, all right. <laughs> Sorry. Mm -hmm. I, I'm the same exact way. I think when it comes to just items, I, I love that you mentioned that it's probably true of anything. Going from the food that you consume to dog food, whatever it is, that's a part of your every single day. I have a, I would have a very difficult time in marketing that item or that service unless I have somehow tried it myself, which I think partially goes back to that story and that personal experience and I'm curious, just based on the number of years that you worked in the space of training other people to understand what sales looks like and, and different ways to improve it and add value, do you think, and, and if so, how much does the personal story or how much does the ability to tell a story play in sales and, and related to who you are? Huge. And I, yes, yeah, so I've been around for a long time. And the word storytelling, the only time you thought about storytelling is if you had small children. Okay. And uh, that's what you did at night before they went to bed. And now you can, uh, you know, you can log into LinkedIn and people having their profile, storyteller, storyteller, storyteller. And people are telling storytellers, they're video people, storytellers, they're podcasters, storytellers, there's finance people, they're storytellers. Everybody's a storyteller. But I absolutely believe before there was storytelling as, as a descriptive for what you are doing or how you're going to help a person and you know, help them market their business. Um, people told stories. I think the personal, you know, I always, I always, I'm pretty transparent. And so I never, I think, and I certainly think there may be a line that you you possibly can cross that may not be a positive line, but I've always been pretty transparent. And I think that personal story, the personal testimonial, a little insight to who you are, okay, helps establish trust, credibility, and gives, it's that handshake. Okay, so my water bottle, my swell water bottle. And there's a zillion water bottles, right? A zillion water bottles. And they all pretty much say the same thing. Keeps your liquids cold, keep your liquid um, hot, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I love my swell water bottle because it does exactly those things 
but I think it's it fits into the slot in my, you know, weird. Um, you can put a cup in my car. It fits into my backpack in the outer little pocket. It's light even when it has its liquid. It comes in a zillion different cute little, you know, colors and this and that. I could go on forever. I really could because I really do like it and I drink a lot of water. So it's like my best friend. If you didn't use it, you'd probably be less, I hope you be less enthusiastic or less or less real. Now, are there really good salespeople who can sell the proverbial ice to Eskimos? Yeah, and sometimes we can't suss them out. They're that good or that dishonest or that skilled or whatever word, depending on what side of the fence you are, you want to use. Robert De Niro could probably make you... <laughs> You know, he, how many characters does he fall into? And it's like, you're staring there. I can't believe it's him. So there are salespeople who don't have the Robert De Niro name nor the Robert De Niro money who do very much the same thing. Very much the same thing. Yes. I think that's one of the fascinating thing about, at least for me, about actors is just their ability to change between one character to another and if you think about it, each and every single one of them does exactly what we're talking about, the sales and the marketing, and yet not every single one of the stories is the same. The plot's different. Some are very different from one genre to another. And that's one of the things that I think always stood out to me is how do you continue to maintain who you are while changing some of those roles? And what are the compromises that you're willing to make? And then what are the compromises that you aren't willing right. to make? Right. See, for me, I think it's, some people think it's hard. I think it's kind of easy. I'm pretty much selling myself, okay? No matter what my, because there are multiple companies, but, and in a couple of them, there are other people. But I'm such an integral part. It's not like Adrian Miller selling for name any big company that I'm just selling for the company. And, you know, I'm measured by my sales results and my ability to bring in quota and all the rest of that stuff. And I feel that I really want my personal brand to be one of honesty and integrity. And um, I, 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 so I, I can't imagine doing it another way. You know, I'm pretty, I, again, I'm pretty transparent. You, you, you get what you see, you get what you see and you get what you hear. I'm not going to show up a very different way anytime. And I, I appreciate that when I'm a buyer, you know, I really appreciate that. And the buyer, a buyer of, you know, many, many, many years ago, I had to, um, help, well, I don't know if I helped my mom, but I, 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 I participated in um, selecting a surgeon for my mom. And so we talked to a couple of doctors and one of them was just a horrible human being. <laughs> I mean, in conversation, this, this was a horrible human being. I could, it, I, he was disparaging and, uh, and just, just brutally rude. But his um, credentials for doing the kind of surgery were over and beyond anyone else. 
anyone else. And so despite the fact that I disliked him as a human, I appreciated his skills and together we hired him. And you know what? He showed up the same way all the time. At that initial consult, when he called my cell phone, when I was in the waiting room for results, when I met him the one other time in post-op, you know, face-to-face, he was who he was. He would not have known how to do it another way. And I kind of respected it. I really did. I think he would have confused me if on our last meeting, he had met me with a big hug and, and used like polite terminology. He was just, that was who he was. And luckily for him, he was able to not compromise well maybe for some people he did but not compromise his success because he was an amazingly skilled surgeon and maybe there was a person who decided a nicer person would be better to work with i for one wanted the most skilled surgeon even if i thought he was an sob because i didn't have to marry him i assuming everything was going to go well i'd probably only see or speak to him one or two more times just like let him do his job you know, let him do his job. I, I took it like um, someone who's laying the foundation of your house. Once he does the foundation, he's done. You don't care if he's a nasty old guy. Yeah. <laughs> Just dig the foundation. Is there a line that you're not willing to cross when you do business with someone? Yeah, I'm not willing to lie. Um, I've been asked to, uh, no one ever wants to say the word lie. Well, maybe you can do it, phrase it like this or something like that. I'm not willing to do that either because it's a lie. You don't call it whatever you want. It's really a lie. Lie, mislead, um, fabricate, any of those words. No, I'm not willing to do those. I'm not willing to do work with, well, I've got to think about this, God. I was going to say, I'm not willing to work with anyone who is, but I think I might have worked with people. And I'm not sure if I didn't let it in my brain or I didn't know at the time. Um, but my BS meter is, you know, pretty, pretty <laughs> fine tuned. But for on a personal basis, I'm not willing to lie. I'm not willing to be deceitful. I'm not willing to say yes to work that I know I'm not going to do really well. I've been asked to do that. And I've been, I've been asked to do that by people who, who are like, oh, please. I go, wait, but that's not what I do. I don't do that kind of work. And just because you like me, that's great. But I don't do that work. I can, I can introduce you to people who do, and that would be fantastic. And if I badger them enough on that, um, they'll do that. It's interesting. People are, you know, people like to work with people they like and have confidence in. And, and I know there are people who say yes to things that they, um, I don't think they're very proficient in. It's like, you don't do that. Why are you doing that? Well, I also think with, with something like that, there's probably a fine line as far as 
how you choose to go in business with someone because what my experience has taught me is that in situations where I chose to be in partnerships with people I like, it's not always the best thing. And the reason why is because I think when situations of conflict come up, it's a much more difficult conversation to be had because here's a person that you like that you don't want to offend and you don't want them to feel rejected and all these other things where I realized that conflict, it's just part of the, it's part of the journey. I mean, I think that's, if anything, what I've, what my connections and relationships have taught me is that conflict is inevitable and it's, it's going to happen one way or another. It's different, I think, from one connection to another, but having the ability to address the conflict for what it is and then move forward probably is a critical skill to any strong relationship. At least that's how I feel. It's usually strong. It's, it, the, it's communication so you can handle the conflict. Um, and it's cooperation, okay? Because if there's no sense of cooperation, then the communication's compromised and the conflict's gonna be very difficult to, um, to eliminate at all. And it's, it's exactly important for any kind of relationship, business or um, personal, for friendships, certainly for relationships, love relationships, partners, spouses, whatever. Um, incredibly important because if you think they'll never, I'm not even going to say it like that. There's always going to be a situation where there's a conflict. If you're around with each other, you know, more than about a day, there's going to be from a little tiny conflict to compromising over what you have for dinner. Okay. To much, much, much larger issues that are pretty much life-changing those kinds of things and the, and the word compromise. So the same person who teaches negotiation skills for business, because I took that an abbreviated class on that, as I was listening, I was going, oh my God, this is the same kind of thing you do in personal relationships. Negotiation skills should be something they, they like teach in school mm-hmm. and they yeah. don't. <laughs> they do not. I read a book however many months ago by now, negotiating the non-negotiable. And then I think there was another one, uh, Chris Voss, I think he was the author's name. He was a former FBI agent, but he was talking about this theory about making things a win-win situation and, and how to walk away from them. And I misunderstood it prior to reading that book. I thought that a win-win situation was when I convinced you of my side. <laughs> I thought that seriously, that's how I operated. And then that wasn't really the case. The way that I think he described it was that creating a space where both parties or however many parties are involved can be heard. And then from there trying to understand, okay, if this is my side and this is your side, what's the common ground? How do we come to terms that you might think that this is worth X price. I might think this is worth B price. What's what's the down the middle? But I misunderstood that. For many years, in fact, I operated from the other lens. I thought that a win-win was for me to convert you and for me to give you whatever you needed to hear in order to be able to come to my side and eventually say, screw it. Right. My price is not important. 
Right. Yeah. No, when really negotiation is so interesting to to look at, read about, be participating in, because it is it is a win win where both people feel good, walk away feeling satisfied, happy um, with an idea that there had to be some compromise on is, is no negotiation if um, no one, uh, if one person, if it's two people, if one person has no compromise at all, that's not really a negotiation. That's more like, um, you know, acquiescing from the other person or being bullied by that person who, who gets what they want, etc. So there are some great, and, and sometimes you have to have um, a negotiator with you or a mediator with you helping you through the process because I did work a long time ago with um, Con Ed the utility in New York, not a negotiation. That would be a crazy thing. You really need some people who are professional negotiators to work when there's um, a union situation, you know, there's good potential strikes and stuff like that. Um, but it was interesting to just, uh, we, we t in, in a, it was a 15 week training program. It was interesting to even touch on it because they have some very strong feelings when you're working with companies that have unions um, about negotiating. So um, I've, I think that I'm comfortable meeting somebody um, in the middle, if there's a um, not agreement about like my pricing or my terms or even what I'm going to provide, I really am. I don't. I don't find myself that I dig in my heels as soon as I hear somebody have pushback. I also know, however, you can't just roll over and say, "Oh, okay." Oh, you don't want it for this? I'll give you. Oh, you want it to? Pay, you want to pay this? Oh, okay. Because if you do that, then you just took the value you were trying to communicate and ripped that apart. Because okay, so it really wasn't worth that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Do you ever find it challenging to price your work or the value the that time. you put out there? <laughs> all the time. Yes, all the time. Um, absolutely. It's pricing is this thing that most people have the biggest difficulty with and are always eager to hear more about some, you know, I speak a lot on different topics and I never speak on pricing. And every once in a while people say, oh, you should do a class on pricing. No, I really shouldn't. I should take a class on pricing. <laughs> I don't want to give one. Um, yeah, I don't know why that is. It's not like I question my own value. I think part of it is like when I'm presenting and writing something up for someone and I immediately think what you're not supposed to think, which is, oh, they're, I know they're having a tough year. Oh, <laughs> they have to put food on the table. <laughs> like I'm practically going to go over and cook their meal for them. Yeah. And I, it's, I have to, it's better for me to work with other people. Like I just did it. Just before this call, I wrote a, um, a little action plan uh, to do work for a client. And I have two other people working with me and I wrote it and I did the pricing. And 
if I was doing it alone, I might've, I might've lowered it, but I did it. They looked at it, two people looked at it and said, oh, that's great. That's perfect. You know, you got my approval, send it out. Okay. But yes, I tend to, I tend to, I don't say, oh, you don't have enough value to charge that to thinking too much about the other person's situation. So you know about my pay what you pay me what you want program, right? I do not know. Oh, so I started this seven years ago. People asked me if it was a COVID thing and it really wasn't. Um, Paymewhatyouwant.com is, is a website. And um, seven years ago, I said, I think I'm going to try this Panera Bread um, was like you went into Panera Bread and you could order and then pay them what you want for whatever you ordered for lunch or something. I went, well, that's kind of an interesting idea. So I said, pay me what you want. One hour of truly a deep dive strategy session, training, you name it. Okay. I'll ask you a couple of questions before pay me what you want. I'm not going to talk to you about price. I'm not going to give you ideas about price. I'm not going to, we're never going to talk about it at the end of it. If you want pay me, if you don't want, don't pay me, pay me by check, by PayPal, by Venmo, by Apple pay, do whatever the heck you want. But we're not even talking about it. And I started and people said, you're crazy. You're crazy. You're going to be working for nothing. You're going to get ripped off, which never happened ever. Um, I would say the vast majority of people paid me pretty much what I would have charged them. And some people way more, way more. I was flabbergasted. Um, and a couple people paid possibly less and almost always wrote a note along with it about being in a really bad hole. And the reason they wanted to talk with me so much was because they wanted some of the advice I could give them to crawl out of the business development hole that they had gotten into. So it was an interesting experiment and um, made me feel pretty good about myself, actually. That's a really interesting strategy. I, I wonder why it happened the way that it did. I wonder if there's like a deeper level within sounds like each and every single one of the people that tells them it almost like intuition. They'll tell you that, okay, you're either paying too low or you're paying too high because with something like that, I've actually been wanting to experiment it on my own side, but I, the thing that I've, set as a limitation is the fact that what happens when you do get paid the 99 cents or the so, $1. So here's the thing. So I, I, and I, I really made it clear. I wasn't doing this in any kind of um, like uh, come on kind of way. like they were going to walk away with real value. There was not going to be, it wasn't going to be like a, uh, a, a, you know, do this with me and you get, you don't really get anything or, or any of those spammy things. I don't even know how to do those spammy things, but anyway. Um, and here's what happened during COVID. This was amazing to me. So I thought I would resurrect this program during the pandemic 
right at the beginning when it hit, because I said, people were worried. People were very impacted professionally. And I thought they may want, I, I didn't use the word scale. I didn't use any of those words. I just, I kept it exactly the way it was. And I thought I would be inundated with business. I got a few things. I post, I didn't do it. No, I, I mean, I was like on LinkedIn. I think I have Facebook or whatever. Um, so I was musing about it with a couple of coaches and consultants that I know that the response to the program was far suppressed other versus other times. And together we kind of came up with, there was so much being pushed out there during this pandemic. You couldn't, you couldn't log in and not feel like, you know, so many offers, which one's real, which one's BS, which one is, you know, and, and I, and I, you know, you have nothing to lose. I just, I found myself saying cliches and then I would just say, I'm just putting it out there. Here's the website. I'm not saying you have nothing to lose or any of that stuff. You can figure that out yourself. I mean, if you can figure out, pay me what you want, then, you know, I can't, I can't help you any further, but it was <laughs> definitely suppressed during COVID. So it's, it's an interesting thing. So, but it was a fun program. I still, it's still there. I mean, I'm not necessarily pushing it right now because I'm very, very, very busy. Ah, so what happens after your point? Um, a few people did hire me. A few people did hire me um, for ongoing work. That was great. It really was great. Um, and I think they looked at this paymewhatyouwant.com as a way of kind of testing me out. It was kind of like the um, test drive of the car. You know, um, it's for some people, the whole idea of saying yes to something without that seemed weird. They couldn't do it. So that's that it served its purpose for them. For other people, they really, um, their financial straits were such that ongoing was not going to be possible. And others who said to me, oh, this is, I got everything I need. <laughs> this is amazing, Adrian. You gave me clarity, etc." And if I was able to do that in an hour, good for me. That's awesome. Yeah. Adrian, outside of that website, pay me what you want. How can people connect with you and learn more about your work and what you're doing? Um, you can LinkedIn is always good. Adrian Miller sales training. Um, email me a Miller at adrianmiller.com. I have four websites, so I'm not going to recite them because that's ridiculous. Um, but that's why LinkedIn is really good because at least there's a, a central place. Um, and, and I do reply to email because I think that, you know, someone emails me, then we start, we start a conversation um, easily enough. Yes, and pay me what you want is good, you know, because it gives you it, it, the site, the responder is your, you know, your name and stuff. And then it'll, it gives you play, a place to say, here, what's my issue? You know, because I, I the more the more I know, the better that hour can be. The less I know, I'm you know we're taking up kind of your time for you to educate me.
Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you enjoyed what you heard, please consider supporting our cause by making a contribution or a donation through our website at overcomingodds.today so we can continue creating and sharing these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.